millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Emily Church here on the Future Positive Podcast. As always... You'll hear from voices ranging from top scientists, engineers, entertainers, government officials, entrepreneurs, and innovators, each of whom agree that the only way to get the future we want is to create it ourselves. In today's episode, we're going to hear about what life could be like in a world where war, famine, and inequality are relics of the past, and where unlimited resources pave the way for a positive, hopeful, and inclusive future for all. Looking at the headlines today, it can be hard to imagine this utopian future. But one of the most compelling visions of this world has been a staple of our media landscape for over 50 years through the stories told in Star Trek. Today, we're going to hear from Star Trek cast members LeVar Burton and Marina Sirtis, along with executive producer Rod Roddenberry, son of Gene Roddenberry, creator of the series and initial visionary of this plentiful future. They're speaking with Peter Diamandis, XPRIZE chairman and founder and creator of over 20 companies, many that are specifically aimed at turning science fiction into science fact. So I got my mission and purpose as a nine-year-old kid. Two things were going on. We're landing on the moon, incredible. And more importantly, there's this TV program coming online called Star Trek this scientific documentary that showed us where we're going in humanity was extraordinary. And on this panel, the nine-year-old kid in me is like just jumping for joy. Uh, hey guys. Hey. hey. So awesome. So uh, I'm gonna start with my complaint and I've, I've said this to Jim Giannopoulos uh, who we'll meet in a little bit, uh, who's the chairman CEO here at Paramount. Uh, first of all, Star Wars gets way too much credit over Star Trek. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's be very clear about this. Uh, and there's no hate. 
Yeah. No, I, I, I believe it's possible, no it's possible to like both Star Trek, uh, love both Star Trek and, and Star Wars. I don't, but I, I believe it's possible. <laughs> I am going to say that uh, all of, most all science fiction out there is so dystopian, mm -hmm. right? It's like, it's just very dystopian to get the, the story going. And one of the things I love, and I'll start with you, Rod, is that your dad told a story uh, and that you've continued of a future that is hopeful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, just talk about that for one moment. Uh, you know, it, it did take me a while to, to really figure out what it was in my, in my younger years, um, but, I, but I eventually started to listen to the fans who came up to me and told me that they were inspired by the show that my father created. And at that time, I was watching uh, Starsky and Hutch and Knight Rider, great shows in the room, <laughs> and plenty, plenty of Star Wars. Um, but I began to pay attention and not just listen to the fans, but watch the shows and, and started to really sort of get what they were talking about and learned about the Idic philosophy, the IDIC, which stands for infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And um, it, it was the true appreciation, not just tolerance, but the, the thirst and quest for all things that are different and unique. And that's what Star Trek was. We weren't out there looking for different looking aliens. We were out there looking for different ideas because we knew that's how we could grow intellectually as a species. So if I could ask both of you, uh, what was it about uh, the Roddenberry vision that really turned you on? What was, because you're both passionate about it. I've had a chance to speak to both of you about it. Um. Go ahead, Mia. Well, um, when I looked at the, <clears throat> the notes for this panel, it basically said we, uh, something that came up that I actually had to look up because I'd never heard the phrase before, was post-scarcity. I didn't know what that meant, so mm. I Googled it. And um, what we had in Star Trek The Next Generation was a post-scarcity world where people did jobs they wanted to do because they liked them. There was no money. No one starved because we had replicators that could make food. Um, so it really was a, uh, a post-scarcity world. And I think that's what appealed to me, that someone somewhere believed that the human race could achieve this kind of utopian existence. With what's going on right now, I'm not convinced, but um, you know, it's a, good, it's a good dream to strive for. Without a target, you'll miss it every time. Yeah, exactly. Babar? For me, it was really simple, Peter. Um, Gene Roddenberry as a storyteller was, was telling me that when the future came, there was a place for me. Ah. As a young black kid growing up in Sacramento, California, who was a science fiction fan, I didn't encounter a lot of heroes in the pages of the science fiction books that I read who looked like me. Gene made a huge statement by putting Nichelle Nichols on the bridge of the Enterprise and having a Russian uh, on the bridge during, during the, Cold the Cold War. War right? <laughs> Gene was really, he was making a political statement, and I believe that all science fiction is political. I believe there's politics in everything. And what Gene Roddenberry was saying to me as a politician was that the future that we create together will be one where there is equality. And as, a, as I say, as a, as a kid growing up in Sacramento, I didn't live in a world of equality. I wanted to. And that's why Gene's vision sucked me in, because of its hopeful mm. nature. Because it wasn't dystopian, because it was inclusive, because infinite diversity and infinite combinations and a respect for all of the diversity that life can be, it's a part of our human nature. The opposite is also a part of it, but, but what Gene was saying was that we were going to evolve to a place where our priority 
was to exercise the higher aspects of our humanity regularly. I could just listen to your voice all day long, dude. <laughs> um, so, you know, for those of you who don't know, again, uh, both, both Anusha and I are Star Trek fans, and so if you look at a lot of the designs of our X-Prizes, they're like trying to make the Star Trek universe happen. And Rod, you and, and, uh, and Rodberry Foundation have been incredible sponsors for which we are grateful. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about what technology you had in the 24th century that you wish you had today. Uh, what is sort of what, you know, what do you want to uh, ask the audience here to go out and create an X Prize around? We did the tricorder, mm -hmm. uh, made some great progress there. Uh, what else is out there that you might want? Well, I, like I said, the replicator would kind of be awesome yeah. it, if you didn't, if you could replicate food. So we're working on that uh, with our with our friends in Abu Dhabi. Uh, right. It's a cellular agriculture, right? So it's can we three D print steaks and chicken and tuna? So we'll be announcing that in November. Uh, we're, so that's part of the replication, but you know, uh, Earl Grey hot tea is not quite there yet. But we'll work on it. We can live without the Earl Grey hot. <laughs> okay. Being, yeah. Within our lifetimes, I'd, I'd love to see the, the holodeck. And I, I know we're, we're really, really close. Yep. Uh, you know, geosynchronous uh, systems architecture, um, maximizing the computing power of, of, of chips, and even moving to new um, storage mediums um, for information, I, I think are really going to get us there in my lifetime. Of course, I'd love to... I, I, would, I would even say we'll see the holodeck this decade. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, the technology for... for yeah, for sure. Right. Okay, I have to fess up here. I'm a little bit of a Luddite. Okay. Just little. Okay. And that's the wrong place to say it. But no, no, but you, <laughs> you represent the human heart. Yeah. In the start, in the little bit. If there's anybody out there who has any ideas on uh, locking down beaming transportation. Oh, that's, it's so good. I would really love that. I travel a lot, and to just be able to beam from city to city would be so useful. But the question is, when you're beamed, yeah. are you instantly destroyed and recreated somewhere else, or do they take your particles, your energy, and send it there? Are you the same person? I don't care. I know you guys have all, <laughs> all asked this question before, I know. I know. Uh, I just want uh, to get there without jet lag, is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, Mar you know, Marina, you have the Avatar X Prize from yours. a couple years ago working on. The replicator? Of course, the yeah. replicator controlling the atom would, would be amazing. I mean, yeah. all value is no longer uh, about objects and things. When we can all have a diamond, a Ferrari, whatever it is we want, whatever we consider a valuable object, uh, when we can all have that, it ceases to be valuable. Right. And what becomes valuable then? Uh, who we are, our ideas, our thoughts, and that's when we start paying attention to each other. So I think it's got far more implications than just food. Well and, uh, and nanotechnology, a decade after after holodecks, might get us to you know Drexlerian type uh, replicators. Peter, in all honesty, I think that what we should really be focusing on are the, the, the problems that are about to beset us as a civilization. Mm -hmm. um, we are about to encounter enormous scarcity uh, across this, this planet. Um, global warming is real in spite of uh, some of the rhetoric that's, that's out there. And rising ocean levels and the melting of Antarctic ice caps are, are going to create unprecedented movements of people around the planet. 
Mm. And we need to begin to wrap ourselves around scarcity and water. Right. We need to begin to wrap ourselves well, around the movements of, of, of people planetarily. We need to be, to, to be forward thinking and, well, we and need addressing to, we some need of these to, things. We, we, in my humble opinion, we need to stop monetizing water. Yeah. Because at the end of the big short, where the hedge fund dude, the only thing that he was now investing in was water. Yeah. Um, I think that's immoral. So we're going to we're going to be something that we have to look into 100%. So our visioneers here over the next couple of days are be going and focusing on on a number of these areas we do with our, our, our partnership in Abu Dhabi working on a water infinity X prize and around rapid recycling to maintain that we have our water abundance X prize. So um, what other areas and, and Rod, I know we've talked about one around empathy mm -hmm. that I love. Yeah, uh, and I, I really want I really want there to be an empathy X Prize. I, think uh, I, can't, I still can't figure it out. Trust me. I, I've got ideas. Yeah. Anybody yeah. want to hear my ideas? I'm happy to. Oh. That would be me. That would be you. Yes. Yes. My sister's. I am very empathetic. Yes. Person. Right. She's, you're the empath. I'm the yeah. empath, yeah. so I should be the prize. Yeah. <laughs> you are the prize. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I want to uh, tee up the last two questions, but also I can't see the clock here. We're going to leave enough questions for the audience here uh, to really have a chance to, to speak with these amazing individuals. Um, what, do you, what do you want Star Trek to teach the world? I mean, I heard you, mm. and it's a beautiful message. What are, what are the other like, important messages that, star, that the Star Trek ethos teaches the world? I mean, I, 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 I said it, uh, just, uh, Anusha said it in her video, she said it in person. I mean, I, many people have said it, you know, our, our planet doesn't have our borders. Um, as cliche as it is, it's, I mean, it's, it's so true. Uh, I guess, I, guess uh, I, I don't know who said the quote, but do something that scares you every day. And a lot of that for me is doing the things that, as, as open as I try to be, and as much as I might stand up on my soapbox and say, you know, let's all be empathetic, let's, let's care about one another, I still have my own uh, weaknesses and fears. And, and to be able to, to address those more regularly, for all of us to, um, whatever they are, I think would make us better people. And for me, a, a lot of those fears are, are, are simply you know, different points of view. It's very easy for me to stand up and criticize uh, uh, certain political beliefs. I feel very strongly on the other side of them, um, but at the same time to try to have some sort of empathy, not just, not for the views, but at least for the different people in the world that see things differently. Um, not to say to agree with them, yeah. but to try to understand them rather than immediately jump out and say, what an idiot. Right, well it's kind of, to me, it's hard. Well, yeah. Because what an idiot! But it comes very naturally to me. Um, <laughs> but um, to me, Star Trek. One of the biggest themes of Star Trek was acceptance of the other. We were non-judgmental, and that's something as humans that we have a long way to go. But that was the one thing about Star Trek that really appealed to me and really stuck with me is that whoever we came across, whichever alien, whatever they were into, whatever they were doing, first of all the prime directive, you don't mess in other people's business if you're not actually involved to change history. And second of all, you accept the other, whatever that other is, as a valid, I'm not gonna say person, because some of them were fish people, but you know, um, whatever, <laughs> whatever they were. 
I have a lot of fellow Trekkies in the audience here. And uh, who wants to ask the first question, any subject other than sports or politics? Um, so in playing Counselor Troy, you were on the forefront of being a role model of empathy on screen for people. Um, did you find you naturally have that skill set, or did you have to learn how to be sort of counselory like And has, how has that played out in your life since then? Have you taken her, the, the character's wisdom, and has it helped you grow as a person? Well, I'll, I'll preface it with I am the person that the, on the plane that the person sitting next to me will tell me their life story. <laughs> as much as I try to hide behind my book and I get the life story from the person sitting next to me. Um, so that's obviously something in my nature that they saw when I was cast. However, I do have to say that the, apart from that, the only thing that Marina and Deanna have in common is we're the same height. Um, I'm not as sweet as her. I'm not as um, kind, I think. Um, I'm much more judgmental. And I voice my opinion loudly and usually with swear words attached. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, but I do feel, I do get your point. We, Gates and I and Denise briefly came along and showed the world that you could be a strong woman and not be the B word and be professional and be equal, you know, who did the captain turn to for advice? I mean, he ignored it most of the time. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so that I thought that was huge. I mean, and I have to preface it with saying, at the time, we didn't realize. It's only looking back in hindsight that we see what an impact having women in professional roles on television had. I have girls coming up and women coming up to me all the time because of you. I did this, and because of you, you gave me the strength. And LeVar gets it. Because of you, I went into science, you know. Nice. Uh, LeVar, let me ask you a question. Uh, you had the first uh, uh, VR head, uh, augmented reality mm -hmm. headset on, on TV that I know of. Mm -hmm. That I know of, too. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty amazing. Right? Uh, do you miss it? No. Because <laughs> I have it. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I have the visor that I wore every day um, in a box in my office at home. But do you remember the conversation, and this just sprang to mind when you wore the visor, I remember you having the conversation with Gene, yeah. but with the technology, right. why wouldn't, yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. why wouldn't Geordie be able to have some kind of procedure that would give him his eyesight or, back? Or an ocular implant. Or, yeah, and what right? did Gene say? Uh, that it was part of how we communicated to the audience um, the level of sophistication of the technology of the 24th century. So it was sort of shorthand for, for the audience. And I lobbied throughout the, 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 I know. the series to get rid of the visor, and I was always given the same and answer. How do you know it's not better than eyesight? Right? Uh, it's know? interesting, how, right? Because that, that was what Gene said. How do you know it's, it's not, not better, better than eyesight? And, and so that became a part of, of how I approached the character. We have a question in the back. Um, yeah, it's actually just a suggestion, um, is if you guys could, as actors, work a little bit more with scientists on explaining their ideas in a more concrete way. Because, for example, with Albert Einstein, he wrote his theory of relativity down on one page. So you guys are super funny. You know, you're great actors. 
So work with some scientists, please, and get their ideas to the point. You just have to ask us. <laughs> but the importance of storytelling yeah. is extraordinary. Yeah. LeVar? No, 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 I, I was agree. agreeing with you. It's, it's really about scientists being able to tell their stories. And we live in an age of the democratization of content creation. What that means for me is that there is no one who can prevent you from telling your story if you have passion for telling your story, because the tools are readily accessible. There was a time not too long ago when the power, all of the power for the storytelling that forms and formulates the belief systems of people all over this planet that is, was, was contained on studio lots like these and in executive towers for television. The, the handful of white men who were at the heads of these companies were really responsible for the majority of the storytelling in the modern age. Un Till now. Amazing. Uh, let me bring another Rodberry into the conversation. Uh, the CEO of Rodberry Foundation, Heidi Rodenberg. Hi. So, obviously, I know Rod pretty well. And so, Rod, I wonder uh -oh. if we bring the conversation back to the strong women that have always been involved in Star Trek. And I don't know if everybody here knows the history of who saved Star Trek. Who's the woman that came in to give... Star Trek, oh, do I oh, need to tell I, you? No, I, I, know. <laughs> I know, yep. Took me a second. Um, Lucille Ball. Yep. Lucille yep, Ball. Yeah, you got it. Yep. Perhaps yeah, perhaps so, I'd like to share that story. When, when my father was pitching Star Trek, uh, I, I, the story is, I wasn't there, um, that that number of the studios rejected it. And uh, the short story is Lucille Ball heard it and said, let's give this guy a shot. Amazing, yeah. and what an incredible success. It, I, I, I do credit everything I've done uh, to Star Trek is significantly, right? It, it showed where, what is possible, right? One of the things that, one of the things that we do here at XPRIZE in general is if you can create a, like, this is the finish line, this is the target, then people gravitate towards that. We do our best work with a finish line, right? In Olympics and business and so forth, when a target, so. Plant the flag and people will find it. That was what, what Star Trek did. Yeah, and that's what my father did. He stood on the shoulders of other giants. And, and others have come along and done that with him. But he planted a flag, and, it, and it was a flag that had a unique voice in culture at the time and continues to have that unique voice. There isn't another entertainment franchise that I can think of that has had the lasting and penetrating impact. Yeah, the, uh, you know, one of our favorite uh, characters in the uh, Star Trek was Spock. And uh, there's so many of his quotes um, which are very famous, you know, uh, like the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And uh, he says, uh, without followers, evil cannot spread. You go back to his quotes, and there are so many kernels of wisdom that I think those could represent or, or get into next XPRIZE projects. It's kind of like Shakespeare. When you read Shakespeare, um, people reading it for the first time go, wow, he used a lot of phrases that we use in everyday life. <laughs> and you kind of go, yeah, he invented them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so Gene Roddenberry was kind of like that, the stuff that you're quoting. It's kind of like Shakespeare. I mean, it, it's, it's phrases that we use in everyday life. And it might actually be Shakespeare in some of it. It might actually be Shakespeare, you're absolutely right, but you know, make it so, beam me up. I mean, all these, and, and, and the Spock, you know. Um, Sparkisms. The Sparkisms. Um, it's exactly like Shakespeare, and Gene and the writers of uh, the original came up with them. 
Let me ask you guys, what is your favorite episode that taught a lesson? I have mine. Please. Measure of a Man. Explain, um, the, explain the episode and I what will. was going and, on. And you, be, people who know Star Trek might be surprised that that's my favorite episode because I'm not in it very much, um, which is kind of bizarre for an actor to say that. Uh, but for me, it was the perfect Star Trek episode because we actually put data on trial to see if he was a sentient being. Um, because they wanted to take him apart. And to me, so that, that was a moral question and, and a scientific, and had a scientific background. So to me, that was like the perfect Star Trek episode. And we're going to face that question in the next two decades, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Ray Kurzweil, my co-founder of Singular University, one of our trustees here, his prediction is by 2029, 10 years from now, we'll have human-level AI, right? So you know, maybe his prediction rate... Uh, is on the order of like 84 percent. But that uh, is accurate. Great question. Will that be sentient then? I mean, I, it's a great. Yeah. We're going to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're, at least we're going to we're going to ask the question. And the question is, are we going to understand that? Are we going to understand? Is it sentient? Does it have consciousness? And these are some of the questions that it's not our kids, not our grandkids. These are questions that we're going to have to deal with right. in the next decade, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And would we all, would we all, because the outcome of the episode was that he was a sentient being and they couldn't um, take him apart. He had autonomy over his own body. Right. Um, but I'm wondering if when we get to that stage and there is human intelligence level AI, because if they're not as cute as data, are we going to be as sympathetic? We'll find out. We'll find out. Yeah. I mean, I, I keep on, it's like these are conversations that are not happening anywhere near enough. LeVar, what's your favorite episode? Um, if you have one. From the original series, no, it's the one with Frank Gorshin, um, where there was a, a planet of people who had uh, half of their faces were white on black on one side and white on the other. Love that. And That's the opposite. Yeah. And it, in, you know, f again, for a black kid growing up in the 60s and, and, and 70s, it Do you was guys know this episode? There's a scene where Let these two factions yeah. are, are warring. Yeah. And, 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 and Kirk says, what's up with you guys? And he goes, he's black on the right side and white on the left side, and I'm the opposite. And it's like, BFD. <laughs> and, and, and it was racism in, in America encapsulated. Yeah. It did more to contextualize the civil rights movement than, than any speech yeah, it was I, I, I ever heard uh, or any politician ever speak on the subject. It was crystal clear how how ridiculous the, the, the distinction between white skin and black skin is. Rod, uh, Devil I'm in sure the Dark. Um, yeah. uh, Next Gen is my favorite series, but th this is just, it was the first episode I saw where it clicked, where I, I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> um, uh, you've got your, your Horta, the rock monster, it's killing humans. Uh, humans are on the planet mining. I don't know why we're still mining in the future, but that's all another story. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Enterprise is called in to save the day. Uh, first, I think we try to destroy it because it's attacking us. We end up finding out that the crystals we're mining are its children. And it's acting as a mother. Now, who's the devil in the dark? And so it was the first time that I was able to see a story that had a bad guy who, in the end, I had empathy for. Mm -hmm. And I felt for the bad guy. And it, it, was, it, it gives me chills today every time I tell that story. And I think that is, that is one of the backbone episodes of Star Trek. So, I mean, stories like Star Trek, I grew up reading Asimov, Frank Herbert, 
these types of things are inspirations. And there's a child today that's out there listening, and, and Peter, this obviously influenced you. As influencers, how do we spark innovation in media and things that have such a wide-ranging impact on the minds of children? We need to invest in our children and their education, and we need to focus specifically on their imaginations, as, as well as the rudiments of, of reading and writing. Um, and arithmetic, we really need to address the imaginative lives of our children at the basic and fundamental levels throughout um, our whatever system of education we're, 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 we're going to peddle in. Um, because it's the imagination, it's because of the imagination that that some kid watched Star Trek and kept seeing Kirk pull out his 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 phaser. It's I don't know. communicator, yeah, it's right? Yeah. Right. He pulled it out and he flipped it open and that, that person became a scientist and an engineer and, and designed the flip cell phone. You see, what, what we focus our imaginations on is what we tend to manifest in this realm. It's what human beings do. It's what we are. We're manifesting machines. And the driver for our imaginations, uh, the driver for creation is imagination. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. please seek out Dean Kamen and First Robotics because yeah. it's creating you know, children who see problems and then focus on solving problems which is so incredibly important. Do you want to add anything to that question? I, I just want to say something that goes back to the lady who said that why don't actors work with scientists to get their, to get their message across. Um, I did a project last year and the local press said to me, how did they get you? And I said, they asked. Uh -huh. You just need to ask us. And not everybody in show business um, feels that they need to give an opinion about things. I am of the school of evil triumphs when good men stay silent. Mm. So I will always be vocal. Um, and if I'm being vocal about X over here, I could be vocal about Y, which is scientific, over there, if I feel it's for the good of the human race. And so ask us. I've never been approached by a scientist in my life. You know, please, I'll, I'll do it. Amazing. Um, we're going to bring one other man on the stage here. Another Greek. Another Greek who is our, uh, our host, uh, the chairman, the CEO of Paramount Studios. Please welcome to the stage, you? Jim Giannopoulos. Thank you. So, 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 Jim, here's my theory. The reason that my kids know about Star Wars and not Star Trek is that the Star, War, the Star Trek film and TV franchises got separated and you never made a deal with Legos. Okay, I guess so. Um, but we have been the home of Star Trek from the inception. Yeah. Um, we made 12 movies. Yeah. Our sister company is about... Good, that's a good start. Right? That's a good start. Um, our sister company is about to um, launch its eighth, the eighth television series. In fact, Patrick Stewart wanted to be here. I know. Had the so close to him, Patrick. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's in New York uh, promoting that series. But really, on behalf of all of us at Paramount, it's great to welcome XPRIZE here. Uh, Peter and Anusha and I go back a long way. I don't remember how many years, but it's well over a decade. Yeah. And um, I'm proud to have been a part of it. Uh, every time I come to Visioneering, it's inspiring. I come, my brain starts to explode, but it's wonderful to see so many um, innovators and brilliant minds working on our problems. And uh, it's great to be here and great to welcome all of you. So thank, thank you, you Jim. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me in thanking LeVar, Rod, Rina. Thanks for listening. 
And as we think about how awesome and inspiring the future can be, you can also get yourself excited for the next episode of the Future Positive Podcast. We'll be headed to space where astronaut and XPRIZE CEO Anusha Ansari will be talking with SpaceX COO and President Gwen Shotwell about the specific steps her team is taking to make living on Mars a reality. Hi, I'm Anusha Ansari, astronaut and CEO of XPRIZE, a global future positive movement of over 1 million people and rising, tackling the world's grandest challenges in exploration, environment, and human equity. We'd love for you to join us. Check us out on your favorite socials and find out how you can support, sign up, or join a team at xprize.org.